1: If you've wanted yet feared To do work that is weird This is the show you just need to hear Where it is revealed How people got into a field That very much appealed To them, you know Following your passion and all that You know, blazing your own trail They finished with success Because they kept on trying Each time they failed Let's listen to them speak about their jobs, which are quite unique. Weird work. I haven't been whipped by a string of braided leather in, well, a minute. And worshipping feet? Don't get me started. Memory doesn't even go back that far. Whether your kink is karma or carnage, there's always something out there for you. And today's guest sure found her sweet spot. Today, we're talking with the Manipulatrix, the Vocal Priestess, the Hypno Crypto Queen herself, Theodora. Theodora is a financial dominatrix. Theodora dabbles in traditional dominatrix work, but her clients or "pay pigs" as they're affectionately known, are most interested in her controlling their finances. That could mean controlling their bank accounts. It could also mean setting up her submissives to mine cryptocurrency for her. Clients could pay her bills or even get her a new pair of her favorite Louboutin shoes. I'll be honest here. I didn't really know what to expect heading into this one. All I know is after leaving it, I might've learned more about business than I have in the past decade of my own nine to five. I'm Sam Balter and this is Weird Work. My my first question for you, should I be intimidated by you because I like absolutely feel intimidated already?
0: Well, everything I do is consensual, so you shouldn't be too scared, maybe a little bit impressed, but that's it,
1: really. <laughs> okay, good. So I have, nothing, I have nothing to worry about here. <laughs> okay, thank you for making me feel comfortable. Uh, <laughs> okay, so um, where would you say your earliest kind of influence or training came from that you eventually would use to become a financial dominatrix?
0: I would say my parents
1: <laughs> okay how so
0: most of them are psychologists and so um my parents are separated and i think that when you have um like separated parents they kind of try to make make it up for the separated time by teaching you all sorts of stuff and for example, my father, I got to see him like on the weekends and he would teach me a lot of things uh, like um, like graphology, morpho psychology, hypnosis, and and so many things that I really found so interesting. And I think I just developed that later on, especially the like the body language, the psychology and hypnosis stuff.
1: So your father was a psychologist and taught you all of this like kind of interesting psychology aspects specifically around like hypnosis and you mentioned something else uh, neurolinguistic programming
0: yes it's a way to rewire behaviors using speech because the way you 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 behave is conditioned by the way you think and you think with words so the way you will change the words that you use in your thinking will eventually rewire the way you behave
1: very cool so where did you grow up you obviously have an accent. You're not from the United States. Where did you grow up?
0: Paris, France.
1: And you grew up like in the city.
0: Yes, I did travel a lot though when I was little, because both of my parents were doing conferences everywhere. So I was quite lucky to learn English early on.
1: And then, um, what did you study in school?
0: So many things. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I, I did both like a, um, languages. Um, diploma, and at the same time, I was in a school to become a professional choreographer. So I was a ballerina in the we call this the conservatoire. It's a very prestigious uh, institution for ballerinas.
1: Oh, so you were training to become a ballerina and also had a like inherent interest in language.
0: Of course, <laughs> and so I actually became a dancer in in companies like contemporary dance companies. And then from the dancing, I met so many people in the in the night, uh, the nightlife, if yeah. I can say. Because yeah. the, the artists, they, they love to party, and I was no different. So <laughs> I met a lot of people in the fetish scene, BDSM scene, even the swingers scene, and that was very intriguing to me. And I knew that I wanted to express myself with my sexuality, but I didn't know yet how I could do that. And I think from the partying with all of these people. I kind of developed a style of domination. And that was my way of expressing myself sexually.
1: So like, talk to me a little bit more about, okay, so you're in ballet school. Personally, like I imagine ballet school is like a, you know, uh, the conservatory is like pretty... conservative, you know, and things like that. How'd you find your way into this kind of, like, partying scene? We and- quite yeah.
0: open-minded because we were connected to so many different artists of many different backgrounds. It was not only about classical ballet. It was also about contemporary choreographers, and they all had very interesting vision about, um, I don't know, like sexuality or war or love of so many things. And I really wanted to to explore all of these aspects. And I was quite lucky to be in, like you say, an institution, but one that was very open-minded. I think that's the the good thing to to study in France. We're quite lucky in this regard.
1: Okay, so you're at some of these parties. Um, How did you kind of transition into becoming a dominatrix?
0: I think it just came to me. (laughs) (laughs) I remember the first one of the first um, swingers party I went to. I was very shy because obviously it was my first time, but at the same time I was so curious. I really wanted to see what what it was all about, you know. And so I was with friends, but I was not in a couple, you know. So. We wanted someone to make out with, if that makes sense. And I was kind of in my corner observing what was going on. And then the fact that I was maybe the only woman dressed up and fully clothed, it was really attractive to submissives. And this I didn't know. So the <laughs> submissives, they would approach me and start you know, asking if they could... Uh, get at my feet and worship me and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I can actually play with them. So I responded by using hypnosis and, you know, playing with them, showing them my feet, wiggling my toes in their faces, you know, things like this. And I really appreciated that. So so I was like very comfortable with it. It felt natural. And that was my, my way of of playing at these parties, you know, because I was not having sex with other people. So <laughs> the way I sexualized this, it, it was a form of sexuality that I didn't know about. And that, that was really exciting for me.
1: Yeah, that's so that's so interesting. And it's like, I I love that you're like coming in shy and you're like, I want to participate. But then people are just kind of like nicely coming over to you and asking and like, and like oh, can I like look at your feet? And you're like, oh, this is great. This seems fun.
0: It starts like this. Really. <laughs> people you meet at these parties, they become sort of Not friends because it's not the right word, obviously, but play partners for the lack of a better word. So these play partners, you keep touch, you keep in touch with them and then you, you see them in other parties and other fetish events. So you kind of build a circle and they know you with your dominant personality and to them they call you goddess they started to call me goddess for me it was like a game you know <laughs> i didn't <laughs> plan to call myself goddess <laughs> it came to them i was like i'm gonna keep it it sounds nice it
1: know? does sound nice it's very it's it sounds really good <laughs>
0: so yeah that that was very natural you just built relationship like with normal um people at parties except that the context is a bit different it's not it's not um how can I say, uh, like, sex dates or it's not a friend's party. It's just play partners. I think it's, it's the, the rightest word, if, if uh, I can tell
1: Yeah, no, I, like, I also like to be how it's so relatable just to, like, any other type of party. Like, you have friends of friends you see, you see them at other places, you meet up sometimes. Like, nothing is really <laughs> too different.
0: That's how it works, isn't it?
1: <laughs> um, so when most people think of a dominatrix, I think they think of like latex outfits, whips, chains, dungeons. A lot of
0: people are actually like this in the fetish scene. It's normal. A lot of people fetishize the, 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 the strong uh, appearance of, of a woman. And obviously w- with fabrics like leather, latex, uh, it, it makes the, the, the woman looks more um, empowered in a way. More, more so than uh, lace or, you know, silk
1: yeah and is that true for for you like are mm. you with latex outfits whips chains dudges, things like that?
0: Not so much ironically oh.
1: <laughs> did you ever used to do that type of thing or had- my, my way of
0: being um powerful in my outfit it was it came from fashion because with the dancing and stuff I did a lot of leg modeling. I was a model for many Oziri brands. And so the, the fashion really interested me a lot. And I love Louboutin, I love Wolford, I love so many brands. And I was using it when I was going to such party, you expected to look very elegant. So I showed up with my, my favorite Louboutin <laughs> and and Walford nylons and dresses and and that was my 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 outfit, my attire of a Dominatrix. I just didn't know I could be different thanks to this it was just natural for me to dress like that i, I didn't see the point to bring like <laughs> a like a latex catsuit or anything it was not part of my fetish uh,
1: world so you were just like that ah, not for me i'd stick with the louboutins and like the expensive designer clothes
0: people really enjoy that too you know there seem to be like a huge fetish for for say louboutin shoes. I see myself as a psychological dominatrix, so obviously it's going to be more using my my speech and hypnosis and things like that. And sometimes uh, it can be dirty talk, it can be verbal humiliation. It's very varied. It's like, um, you know, when you're having sex with someone, it's not just the sex that is exciting. It's the the hot talking, the, the yeah. words you use. That's what makes everything so much more exciting and, and arousing. And that's, that's just what I do. I'm using my speech to create an atmosphere of arousal to the other person. So, so I think that the fact that I'm wearing whatever, Louboutin or, or nice dresses or stuff, it's just an accessory to what I do. You know?
1: So is your work physical in any way?
0: It can be. At the, in example, at these parties, if I'm meeting someone new and they say, oh, I want to worship your feet, then they can kneel in front of me and, and they will lick my sh- shoe soles, for example. Mm-hmm. You know? So th- that's a sort of physical domination, even though it's, it's not um, the, the main thing that I do. It's one of the possible aspects of domination. And that's just one of many examples. Some people, they like what we call trampling, like walking on them with heels, okay. which is very fun to
1: do. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when they're expensive Louis heels. I assume that adds something to it.
0: Oh, you have to be careful on which part of the body you walk on, though, because you can really hurt them in a bad way. So <laughs> you have to pay attention. But when it's done well, it's it's a lot of fun for both people.
1: So, tri- so trampling professionals only. Like, you shouldn't be, amb- you don't want to hurt somebody by, you know, like stabbing them in the groin or something like that.
0: No, I mean, when you see a dominatrix, especially a physical one, you don't go to a dominatrix so she sends you to the emergency room right away, <laughs> that's not the point. You just want to feel the, the the thrill of being hurt, but hurt enough to still be able to be turned on by it. So I'm trying to to reach this limit where it's painful but still exciting, but not cross, cross it. If I cross it, I lose. Okay. <laughs>
1: So, um, I want to talk a little bit about just being a financial dominatrix. And I think a good point to start is like, what does it mean to be a financial dominatrix?
0: It means that I use um, people's money as a a way to control them. So Some people, they earn a lot of money. And to them, it's like a a, a status, a symbol status. And if you take this away from them, that's where they, they are really like, Slaves, kind of, they feel enslaved to you, especially if you take it uh, from them. So if I, for example, if I take someone's credit card and they say to me, oh, you can hold it and do whatever you like, then they can't spend anymore. They can show off that they have so much money. They they can't do this anymore. They're just enslaved to to my, my will of doing whatever or giving to them the right to use it at all.
1: Oh, so you'll also hold it, hold their credit card and be like, I tell you when you can spend money?
0: Well, there is some kind of agreement (laughs) beforehand, of course, but that's the sort of game that we can play with financial domination.
1: So what are some of the other services that you offer as a financial dominatrix?
0: It's hard to, to say that it's services, like, no one is the same regarding the way they want to be dominated or controlled. Ah. We we have tools. Uh, tools can be, like like you say, credit or debit cards. It can be, if they give me the, the account, bank account passwords and stuff, I can check and say, oh, you have this much. And, and if it's agreed beforehand, I can take whatever I want and just leave them on the limit so they can just pay their expenses, you know. And nothing much more.
1: (laughs) So, okay, let let me just, this might be a dumb question, but are you keeping all of this money or are you just controlling it for short amounts of time?
0: It depends. When I started, I remember the the first time someone gave me money, it was cash and and they wanted to, to be like wallet raped, kind of. Uh, it, it's a weird thing to say, but they wanted me to take all their money. And in the wallet, th- there was like maybe only two or 300. It was euros, so I don't think they was like probably the same. Okay. It, for me, it was not much. I mean, I've seen money before. So so when they say, oh, I'm going to spoil you and stuff, and you see only 200, you're like, okay. <laughs> you and can't. I was so disappointed. I, I, I pulled this face like, oh, okay, I'll take this anyway. But what I didn't know is that this submissive, he, he absolutely loved it, that I was disappointed. He felt really huh. uh, used by the way I, I was looking at his money, saying that it means nothing to me. That was really exciting to him, I think. And it's probably why I'm so successful right now. I think it's because obviously everyone wants to be to, to an extent, a financial dominatrix, they, they all believe it's easy money mm-hmm. and they go like, oh, pay me and stuff. But the, the real uh, way to succeed is to show them that you don't care about them, their money. And the fact that it, it, money has no sexual value to me hmm. is very arousing to them because it is sexual to them. you know. It's the huh. fetish rejection kind of.
1: So to be good at this, you really don't... You can't give a shit about money.
0: It's better not to. <laughs> it's
1: better not to. It's better not to.
0: The minute you you start to care, you, you're you losing your power.
1: Because, oh. because
0: it becomes a way for them to control you, which is not what you want. It's the opposite. You are controlling them. So obviously, if you have a comfortable situation like I, I had when I started, you know, when you're a model, you earn insane amount of money you don't even know what to do with them uh, i was 18 i had so much money I, I i didn't know what to do and that that's why i went to so many parties every night yeah and i think that's the reason that i why i built up um a clientele really even though to me they were only play partners but then i realized it could really be a business you know
1: So one of the things I also, just to kind of get a sense of like your work a little bit better, like where do you generally work? If it's not in a dungeon, like where are you kind of exerting this financial domination on
0: people? If I'm traveling, which I do quite a lot, it would be at my hotel room. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, I would dress in in lingerie or, you know, very sexy outfits. So I can sexualize the scene a little bit. And then, well, it depends on the city, but usually it's it's very verbal, as I said. So, depending on on what my submissive is into, I will try to craft something around his fantasies. For example, if someone is really into um, like homewrecking fantasy, I will imagine a, scenar- a scenario with his wife and how I can, you know, homewreck him.
1: So is is that is that a common thing that people are looking for like home wrecking fantasies?
0: It's something that I do a lot and I think that it's kind of one of my favorite uh, kinks kind of. Yeah. I, I feel good at this because it's it's I find it really fun.
1: <laughs> it's what it, it's so that's like a personal favorite of yours.
0: Yes, it is because it involves a lot of tease and denial. And it's a way for me to, to use all my sensuality with my voice, my body, the way I move, the way I can touch him with my nails and, and tease him, but, but nothing happens. So I can build up a lot of frustration and, and I find this really, really empowering.
1: Can I ask you on the, on the flip side of it, is there any that you're like not as interested in?
0: I don't know. I, I was always <laughs> so lucky to be able to, to, to share my interest with my play partners. So, <laughs> so
1: it's all it's, so it's mostly almost always enjoyable for you.
0: Yes. Oh, indeed. that's,
1: oh, man, that's nice. It's nice to have a job that you like to do, that you like to come to work. <laughs>
0: yes, <isn't it>? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Okay. So I got to ask you about this because it's just, it's so fascinating to me. The way you've gotten into cryptocurrencies?
0: Oh, it, it, it's just for sex workers, it's a natural way of taking uh, payments. I can't even say payment for what I do because I don't charge like, oh, one hour is this much. No, it's just, it's part of the game. I decide that you have this too much money and I'm going to take the excess. So you're going to contribute it to me in Bitcoin. Because obviously I can't use PayPal. I can't use a lot of platform because they ban adult worker. And especially now that I have like an online presence and people know about my adult videos. So... If PayPal finds out that I take payments and I'm an adult producer, they will shut my account. So even more so now, it doesn't make sense to use PayPal. It's better to use cryptocurrency. It's safer. It, it has always been safer. And I think that the reason everyone is so interested about cryptocurrency now is because obviously it's, um, it's, it, grew, it grew so much.
1: So you've been using it for a while as just a method of transactions.
0: Of course. Yes. And I, and I remember with my, my first financial submissive, I didn't even know what Bitcoin was. They just offered me to give me in Bitcoin because they, they thought it was easier than doing like a bank transfer and actually get my real name and stuff. So Bitcoin is very private, convenient. It leaves no traces. So it sounded obvious that that would be great. Even though the first, my first Bitcoin payment, it was maybe only I think one Bitcoin was worth $50. So it was nothing compared to now. So I just accumulated them, you know.
1: Okay, real Sam hopping in here. Not interview Sam, but damn, he is good. I just had to mention so this interview was from a while ago. Why did we use it back then? Who's to say? Either way, when Theodora mentions Bitcoin here, at the time of the recording, the price of Bitcoin was $1,500. Today, even with the recent crazy drop in crypto, Bitcoin is worth thirty thousand dollars. ching Theodora. Okay, back to the interview. <laughs> <laughs> so you were you were getting you were at Bitcoin when it was like fifth, like twenty dollars or so, and you've just been stacking them up for a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah. So of course I, now I'm more educated on the matter. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I use several different cryptocurrencies and I try to I I, I do a bit of mining even myself. And yeah. my do mine for me, so so I don't have to to take care of it too much. But it, it's like uh stock options. You have to look after it.
1: Can you talk to me a little bit more about these um I noticed you call them slave mining operations. How how do those work?
0: Um well, you have to to, to have like a a dedicated, um, rig to mine. It's like a computer, but you don't really need a screen. You just need a, either a, a graphic processor or, or simply the processor. It depends on the currency you mine. Some they use the, the CPU, some others they use the, the GPU, which is the, the graphic processor. So depending on which currency you're mining, you're going to use the resources of this, this mining rig. It's not really a computer. It's a mining rig. And then it will, um, it will do calculation for the the network of the cryptocurrency, and that's how you actually get money from your your mining rig. And so, I have people who have mining rig, and and they they wire this money to my account. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how many mining rigs do you have set up now?
0: You mean for me at home or with other people?
1: With other people. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, you've just lost track. Uh, Yes. So Okay, so it's it's probably more than 10, it sounds like.
0: Oh, yeah, I think so.
1: (laughs) And also, thank you for that explanation. That's literally the best explanation of bitcoins and mining rigs that I've ever heard. It's probably the easiest way I've heard to understand it.
0: Uh, Thank you. It's not hard to understand, you know. It's very easy, actually. When you see the money coming in, you understand. (laughs) You know, I've been doing this for a while, and what I want to add is when you when you mine Bitcoin, uh, when it was fifty dollars, it was really worth it. But right now, if you try to mine Bitcoin, mine Bitcoin, it's nearly impossible because the value is so high. It requires so much more calculation. You know, so so now it, there's no point in mining uh, Bitcoin. Even Monero is starting to become difficult to mine. So if you want to mine something, you, you'd better look into the smaller currencies. Because that's where it's easy to mine. And because they will grow, you'll get the same as I did before. So you always have to think ahead, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, d- I didn't think in this interview that I'd be getting like financial as much fi- like solid, sound Bitcoin mining and financial advice. But I'll, I'll look into other currencies now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's smart to do that. Um, so I just have a bunch of like rapid fire questions that I'd love to ask you about uh, money, your clients, you, things like that. So what would you say is the average net worth of your clients? Oh,
0: it's so hard to say. It, it, it can be from, oh, I don't know. I really don't know what to say because some they have so much money and some others, they, they're like, I would say normal people.
1: So like the range is like, multiple millions to like awesome. to like what's the low end
0: the low end well since i'm on the internet there's no no low end <laughs> <laughs> anymore because the when you're on the internet you you can actually uh, uh, give a taste uh, to people of what financial domination is like by offering them the possibility to send uh tributes that are um, natural for them to send like you could ask them for a hundred or a thousand dollars, and to them it's still possible, you know. So, so it's a really nice way to to um, democratize. Can can we say that? Yeah. Uh, financial domination, <laughs> thanks to the internet. I haven't been on Twitter for that long, but what what I saw is that it, it's it allowed me to reach a new kind of clientele that I never had before. Because when you go to these uh, swingers' party, obviously it's going to be with richer people yeah
1: they're
0: they more they are wealthier so so they, they won't spend 10 20 or 100 or it's much more than that when they want to play they really want to play something that it seems dangerous to them so when you're on the internet it's totally the opposite almost because on the internet it's people well they don't go to these parties so yeah. if they can't afford to go they look on the internet what they can do so It's different. You make a lot of money from from these uh, smallest uh, clients. You can. It's it's just a different approach.
1: Okay, so what's your favorite luxury good?
0: I don't know because I have everything. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anymore. Actually, maybe I do. I like traveling. That's nice. It's, I don't know. I think it's the best when you can travel. It doesn't have to be luxurious anymore. Sometimes I find it really obnoxious, kind of. I mean, I'm always with, with wealthy people and rich people and, and, and nice parties with nice dresses. and I, I have everything, so I, I don't really care about this anymore.
1: What's the most expensive gift you have received?
0: Um, let me think. Expensive gift. I, I had expensive tributes, but they were not really gifts.
1: What's oh. the most expensive tribute, or what's the largest tribute you've ever received?
0: Uh, a few times, 49K. That was nice.
1: <laughs> 49, and they didn't round up to an even 50.
0: No, because uh, actually we have a law in my country <laughs> where um, if you don't want to pay taxes on, they call it a, a donation. If you don't want to pay taxes on a donation, it it, it should not exceed 100K per year. So. So it had to be 49 twice in order not to exceed 100K a year.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, how much money do you make?
0: You mean amount? A yeah. Year? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard to quantify this, but I can tell you that with just the videos, I made 120K this year. the the past year from just the the video sales. I know because I have the the figures, you know, on the internet and stuff. So it's really easy to see. But then from the tributes and stuff, it's hard to quantify because obviously because they are gifts, you you invest them somewhere else. So you don't really know the worth of it all, you know?
1: (laughs) Man, you, this is so interesting how many, like, it's hard for me personally in this interview to even keep track of all these sources of income.
0: Well that, that's the, the nice thing uh, about domination it, it's very artistic so as long as you're creative you always make money i think it's the same for every business isn't it as long as you're creative you will get money in a way or another you just have to to invent new ways
1: okay another question let's see i noticed on your website you have people like paying all of your bills and he said <laughs> yeah, I loved that. I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. Any sense of like how many people are paying your bills?
0: Oh actually the the on my website, as I explained to you before, it's a way to democratize what I do to other people. But my my financial submissives who already pay my bill when I go to, uh, let's say, an expensive spa, or if I have like a very uh, luxurious uh, dinner somewhere, I will take a picture of the, the tab or the bill and send directly to them so they can pay. So we have a bit more interaction, you know. And-
1: so, and are you so you'll just like go out to dinner at like some Michelin star restaurant, snap a quick picture of your bill, and then send it to somebody, be like, go pay this.
0: Well, as long as you can sexualize it, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. And the other thing is that you mentioned you make videos. Um, what are those like?
0: Oh, usually it's mostly about hypnosis. It's a way to to develop what I really like about hypnosis. And I think if I can give a sense to people of what I do during, uh, let's say, an hypnosis session, then they would get more acquainted, a- acquainted with my style so it's mostly about hypnosis and and the way i talk and, and things like that the way i move i try to make them really pure with, with a white background and just me and i dress the way i like to dress so they can just see me and and maybe they will want to interact with me more when they see that
1: I, when I was looking through your website and I saw the videos, my favorite part of your entire website is that you have this one point where there's a drop down on the videos and it's like custom extras you could do. And it's like, yep. oh, if you want custom hair or custom makeup, it's like $150 or you know $300. And then you just have one line that just says, or if you just want to pay me more money.
0: Yes, I wanted to do this. I I thought it was funny.
1: I thought that was hilarious. I was so, I was like, oh my God, that is great. That is so funny. so popular. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? That's a popular, that's the most popular add-on? It's just pay you more?
0: Because usually my my best uh, clients, they would they would order a custom clip and they wouldn't write any, any description. They just put the ad up so I can get more because they know that most websites, they, they take their cut out of it. So obviously they want to add more so that I can get more out of it. And then they will send me a message, oh, I ordered a, a custom clip from you. Please do whatever you want. I know it will be perfect. It's <laughs> <That's> my
1: favorite. <laughs> just no matter what, it's going to be good.
0: Usually I know them well, so I know better than them <laughs>
1: So, okay. So this is great. So these videos, these videos are basically like you gave me a little bit of a sense of it, but it's you a lot of times in kind of a plain white room talking to the camera. Is that correct?
0: Yes. It's filmed in in POV style so so that they they feel like I'm in front of them when they view the video and that I'm talking directly to them. And I think the videos, it's also a way for me to express my my point of view on on female domination in general. So so they know my ideas and and why I do this and and how I like to behave, you know?
1: So I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, your work as a dominatrix feels like kind of a modern evolution of the profession, right? Yeah. But I wanna know like how has this change affected your clientele? Like how have the submissives evolved over time. Have you noticed any changes in your clients?
0: I think the the, the only thing that really changed is the way uh, that people view the fetish scene. Uh, when I was doing this uh, 8 years ago, it was really taboo. <laughs> Yeah. Like very, very taboo, especially in France. Uh, I think it was the same everywhere else. But in Paris, it, if you explain to someone that you, you were dominating and wiggling your toes in, in their face and they would throw money at them, they would be, oh, what kind of job is this? Uh, are you an escort? Or, you know, they they, they didn't know. They were clueless. They, they, they had so many um, uh, misconceptions about what it was really. And now it seems to be more accepted. People understand that some other... People can have fetishes and and like to be dominated in, in a private setting. So maybe it is thanks to to like movies like Fifty Shades. of Grey. <laughs> I think it contributed to to the the, the popularity of, of fetish stuff. Did it's you- very marketable right now, so people are more curious and they want to try it, and they're more open-minded as a result.
1: One thing I'm wondering about is. If a dominatrix and a submissive are really two types of people with two totally, you know, kind of separate minds, or are dominatrixes ever submissives?
0: I think we, we have uh, such a binary way of viewing sexuality, and I don't think that's so accurate. I believe there is more fluidity to to sexuality in general, not, not just the identity of being a male or female or submissive or dominant or, you know, it, it has so many different nuances. And I think that, you know, myself, I never thought I was dominant. I just feel more comfortable in this role because I'm seen this way. And it's easy for me to, to to take this position. But I never wanted to be uh, like 100% dominant, not submissive. I just feel comfortable with people who submit to me. It's not all black and white. There's an exchange. And I think even in your life, maybe you will meet people who will inspire you to, to submit to them or to dominate them. It's really a matter of who you're interacting with and where in your life you are regarding your, your exploration of your sexuality, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no. So it feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sort of sounds like you could be dominant for um, you know some period of time, but there's also nuances to it. And you might be submissive at times. You might be in the middle. Like I it's really very a spectrum. Possible,
0: yes, I don't see why it, it couldn't be possible.
1: Do you find that for you personally, or are you pretty much primarily into being the dominant figure?
0: You know I've tried earlier in my sexual life to to explore submissive submissiveness. Can we say that yeah that that I never felt comfortable with that hmm. but I mean, not because I don't feel comfortable, doesn't mean other people can't, you know? Other people can very much... People are called... Some people are switches, which means they are able to be on both sides, which I admire a lot. I've been with people like that. It's very interesting. Some people, they like to... They are dominant, but they can bottom, which means they can be, well, under, yeah. but still <laughs> dominating because they're in control. And I think that's that's what I do If if I... If I was submissive at some point in a relationship, it was more bottoming because I like to stay in control. But then it's just me.
1: (laughs) So so even when you're in a more submissive position, you still kind of want to be in a little bit of control.
0: I'm not really in a submissive position anymore. (laughs) But earlier in my sexuality, I I did explore that. And, you know, I just like to be in control. It feels more comfortable and natural to me.
1: Okay, so this is kind of a a broad question, and we've touched on it a little bit, but yeah. how do you look at money?
0: Well, <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> like, I, like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, you seem to have this really strong attitude where in a lot of ways you don't appear to give a shit at all about like a lot of aspects of having money and things like that. But
0: I think that's why I'm successful. It's because I don't care. If I did, I would be desperate. And people can sense desperation to my, from my other way. So it wouldn't make sense to be a financial dominatrix if I needed money, you know? That, that That's the game. I have to sexualize money and be creative with how I sexualize it so it become interesting to my financial submissives. So it has no sexual value to me. It doesn't turn me on, so to speak. So I just like the interaction. What I like is the, the power exchange. I don't really mind about the, the tool for, for power exchange because money is just a tool. I mind about the human connection and how someone is actually giving me the gift of his submission. Because the, the men that I dominate, they tend to be quite powerful. And most of the time, they would be politicians or CEOs or, you know, so it's, it's, it's really a gift when they submit to me. I really like this exchange. I think it's, it's more interesting in, in a human uh, experience point of view.
1: I look at a lot of your work in some ways as like in empowering women. You're an absolute boss businesswoman and an incredibly like powerful <laughs> person. Do you see a tie between your own business savvy, uh, being a traditional dominatrix as a way to empowerment?
0: I think uh, it has to be empowering uh, in every way, not not just sexually, but as you say, as a woman in my daily life knowing that i'm in, in control of my business and doing a job that i like of course it's empowering and it's important that it is because if you are to 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 become a professional dominant it has to be empowering for real it's not just a role you know
1: you can't fake that no <laughs> This episode was written and produced by my partner in Strange, Matthew Brown. Our theme music comes from the wonderful Matt Farley. If you like the show, do what people who like podcasts do. Open the closest window, start screaming as loud as you can, and harass every person in earshot to start listening. Or you can buy our merch. That's right. We got merch, baby. Head on over to weird.org to a dad hat, an airy tank top, whatever'll look good draped on that hot, sweaty, summer body of yours. As always, I'm Sam Balter, and stay weird, (laughs) you son of a bitch, man. I almost read that one. (laughs) Uh, Changing that, okay. (laughs) As always, I'm Sam Balter, and stay weird, you pay pigs.